You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We will finish our series on Philippians today. Uh, Think on these things. And today we find ourselves in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. This is, this is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. You, you might have thought that was me speaking to you all. <laughs> yeah, it does. Stand firm in the Lord uh, in this way, my beloved. I urge Udea and I urge uh, Syntyche to be of the same mind of the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women For they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. God in heaven, we love you, and we are grateful for your love for us. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. Fill us, Lord, with gratitude for what you have done for us, for, with compassion for each other in your world, with courage to respond to your word. Lord, fill us with joy. May it give us strength and fill us with hope that these things will come to pass. In the name of Jesus and the presence of the Spirit, amen. As Paul wraps up his letter here, and as we wrap up our series, he kind of starts by picking up on a few themes that he's already mentioned. So he kind of, he starts by saying, stand firm. So the the faith is not kind of a once and for all deal. It's not like, well, once upon a time, I said a prayer. Or there was this one time, it seems like I thought about God, right? The faith is something that's practiced. It's a life that's lived. It's not a spectator sport. It's something that we participate in. And we don't just participate in it casually. That's what we, we actually say, that someone does something religiously. If something, someone does it religiously, what we mean by that is that they do it regularly with, with practice, with regularity, right? So Paul is telling the, the church in Philippi to stand firm. Things might not be so good. Obviously, things were not so good for Paul. He's in prison as he's writing this, right? So things can get tough, but we should stand firm. 
And then he says this. He says to Judea and Syntyche that they should be in the same mind that is in the Lord, which is just a direct quote from what he said in chapter two when he encouraged the church at large to be in the same mind that is in the Lord. So we're not exactly sure who Judea and Syntyche were, Apparently, these women were part of the church in Philippi and somehow workers with Paul, maybe church leaders. Some have suggested that perhaps uh, they each kind of hosted a church in their home. Um, But whatever the case may have been, apparently there's been some difficulty between them. And he's encouraging them to kind of get past it, kind of to get kind of get over it and to kind of move forward and to have the same mind in them that it's also the mind of Christ. So I was trying to think when I was preparing the sermon today, I was a little worried about even having to say their names. I can't tell you how many times I practice Udia and Syndiki, right? Because those names don't just roll off my tongue. And I actually had a thought that maybe the thing that they didn't like about each other is that they mispronounced each other's names. (laughs) But, But whatever it was, whether it was something light in that form or whether it was more serious, to have the same mind in them that's also in Christ Jesus. So we we talked about this two weeks ago, that the kind of the center of Paul's letter to Philippi is that passage in Philippians 2. And maybe not just the center of Philippians, but it might be the center of Paul's theology, his understanding of the faith completely, right? Which says that Jesus, having equality with God, did not consider it something to be held on to, but he kind of emptied himself, even to the point of becoming a human being, and finding himself in human form, he was obedient, even to the point of dying on a cross, so that then God raised him up and kind of set him above all others. We sang this, right, just a minute ago. And so that, that's quintessentially what it means to be Christian. Like the Christian posture is one of bowing. The Christian posture is one of deference, right? It's a preference for the other. Like that's quintessentially Christian. And certainly Udia and and, and Syntyche knew that. But it's one thing to kind of know something and it's another thing to practice it. Right? There are all sorts of ideas that we have from Scripture that have to do with human flourishing, like the best way to be ourselves. But we don't always get there. So I know this series has been titled Think on These Things, right? which actually comes from uh, Philippians 4.8, those, that long list of things that Paul says think on. But we've titled the service today, Act on These Things. To act on these things. Look at verse 9. It says, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So let's think about that. Keep on doing these things. You've learned them. Well, to a certain degree, I feel like we've learned them. We've learned them in life. We learned them by coming to church on Sunday morning, right? We hear someone speaking about these things. So we've learned them, and it says that we've received them. This is part of the faith that I think is not emphasized enough in our context. The faith is something that's received. Certainly we receive it from God, but we actually receive it from others. We see other people living faithfully and they become kind of an example for us. 
the faith is passed from person to person, uh, from generation to generation. So you have learned it and you have received it. You have heard it and seen it in me, Paul says, which I think is remarkable. So this is not uncommon for Paul. Like he says this in other letters. He'll say things like, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which sounds pretty daunting to me. Like in some ways, I would like to just say to other people, look at Christ and behave that way and just leave me out of it. But that's not the faith. The faith that we have received is a faith that's passed from person to person and from generation to generation. So that like Paul, we too should be living a life that we can turn to someone else who might not know and say, see in me, hear from me. And in doing so, you will have heard from God. It's exactly what Jesus says to us, right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I'm one with the Father and I'm one with you and I want you to be one with the Father. And Paul then is living that life too. And I think in the same way that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, I think the Holy Spirit is using these words to speak to us here at Oasis, that this is the way that we should live. So we stand firm, <coughs> excuse me, and we have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, and, he, and this, this is where I think he starts to kind of enter into some, some new ideas as he wraps up the letter. He says in verse six, do not worry about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. This actually reminds me of a passage in Matthew six. I'm not gonna put it on the screen for you, so... Just listen carefully. You're probably familiar with it. This is Matthew 6. It's part of that section of Matthew's gospel that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. <coughs> Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? I'm going to repeat that one. Can any of you, well, I will if I can find it. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spend. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For this is what the pagans do, who strive for all of these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Man, there's so much truth in that. <clears throat> and... I'm imagining that you are kind of been formed in much the same culture that I was formed in. It's kind of the great kind of 
evangelical uh, gift of the Spirit, worry. (laughs) (coughs) We imagine that worry is like a badge of honor. We treat worrying like it's responsible. Like I'm, I'm worried about this thing. I'm worried about how you're living. <laughs> I'm worried about the direction our nation's going in. I'm, I'm worried about our finances. I'm, I'm worried about this freezing cold weather. <laughs> right? But worry, worry is not um, a gift of the Spirit, for sure. Uh, nor do I think it's particularly responsible. Like, you have never added a single moment to your life by worrying. So it is important, I think, to be responsible, to, to make some plans, to be aware of our situations, but, but not to worry about it. We return to, to Philippians here. So do not worry about anything, but in everything, pray. And so part of the reason we don't worry is what he says here in in verse uh, five, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. That's why we don't have to worry. Because whatever we go through, God is close by. Even if it's hard times, God is still there with us. God is not one who stands far apart from us. Um, I would say maybe 30 years ago, uh, Bette Mittler, who I love, uh, had a popular song on the radio, uh, God is Watching Us. Anybody remember that one? I would sing a little, but I'll spare you. (laughs) But uh, one of the lines is, God is watching us uh, from a distance. It's kind of a, it was beautiful uh, music, I think, but a horrible message as though if God is far, far away and it's just kind of, kind of, you know, lovingly paying attention. Well, God is lovingly paying attention, I believe, but God's not far away. God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. I know that sounds a little cliche, but it's true. Like who we really are. Like God knows us better than we know ourselves. There's no place we can go, right? We've laughed about this before. Like you can't you know, run out of church really quickly and get to the restaurant before God does, right? God's already there. God's everywhere. God's right here. God is near us. In the middle of the night, when depression or anxiety comes, when the diagnosis is bad or certainly worse than what we hope for, God is always close by. Just reach out in prayer. So do not fear, for the Lord is near. And then it says this. This is a tough one. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now I know there might be some of us who have a tendency to be a little curmudgeon. And we're afraid that somebody somewhere is going to be happy. Right? You ever met those folks? Yeah, and, and the, this idea that somehow joyfulness is not solemn or respectful enough, like the faith deserves your serious attention. Mm. And there are others who are like, woo, 
Jesus. <laughs> right? They hear Paul say rejoice in everything, and they're like uh, speaking in such sappy language. Right? They want to say that everything's good. I think the Apostle Paul would be like shocked at both of those examples. Like, Paul's not going to put up with a person who says that the faith is joyless. And Paul's also not going to take seriously the person that says everything is good. Right? Everything's not good. There are a lot of things that are bad. And Paul knows it. Paul, again, is in prison. That's not like on vacation. Right? <laughs> And a Roman jail was no happy place to be. He knows things can be tough. He's in the midst of tough times himself. Jesus, of course, knew this too. Right? Jesus experienced hunger. Jesus experienced um, exhaustion. Jesus experienced uh, depression. Jesus experienced abandonment. Right? His closest friends at the worst time in his life, he's like, hey, we need to pray. And they're like, well, you know, I'm kind of tired. And then when things got really bad, the disciples deserted him. Like, not everything is good. But our hope, right, what we're leaning into is that somehow, in the end, God will take these things, even the bad things, right, and, and make them all right. In the, in the lectionary, this passage in Philippians 4 is paired with this story in Matthew's gospel about the wedding banquet. It is one odd story. So there's a king throwing a wedding banquet. That's already different. Like, you know, it should have been like a groom or or the, the father or something. But no, it's a king. It's a king throwing a wedding banquet and he invites all the important people and they blow the king off, which seems unrealistic. And so the king kind of sends out uh, his servants to just invite anybody and everybody. It says the good ones and the bad ones, the ones who do good and the ones who do bad, right? So that's, I'm thinking, oh yes, our Lord, you know, inclusivity. I'm feeling good, right? And then the king walks up to somebody that's at the banquet and he goes, why aren't you wearing a wedding robe? Like you're not dressed right to be here. Somebody come and take this person and cast them out into utter darkness. The end. <laughs> like I thought I knew where the story was going and then it took this hard left-hand turn, like out of nowhere. I called Chris Green last night. I texted him, actually, and I'm like, man, what would you do with this text? It is weird. So <clears throat> I bring up his name just in case you don't like this interpretation, so we'll blame it on him. <laughs> but, but I was persuaded. So the one who gets rejected is the ultimate one. Like the, the only way I think we can read that text faithfully is to identify the one without the robe to be Jesus. Because it makes no sense that if God would invite just whosoever off the street and then someone would come in and they'd say, sorry, you're not dressed right. You're out of here. That's not the God we know. But who is the one 
who, like Philippians, having equality with God, did not consider it something just to be grasped, right? But just let go of it all. Emptied himself, undressed himself to the point of becoming human and was obedient to the point of death. He's the one that gets cast out. Of course, that's not the end of the story, yeah? But it is an important part of the story. And here, here it comes. If we are to be with Jesus, we too have to be prepared to be cast out. We can't say, why God? Why me? Because God was the one who suffered. Paul will say elsewhere that we know Christ through our sufferings. And we all know this to be true, right? Like when we suffer, we're consoled most by those who have suffered similar things. Yeah? And we find ourselves, when, we, when we're in contact with someone else who has suffered, we realize that the suffering that we've suffered places us in a position to be present with them in ways that we couldn't have been otherwise. And if Jesus is one who has suffered, then how can we ever truly know Jesus unless we too have suffered? But the, the good news is, is that the Lord is near. That we're never alone. That we don't have to worry but we can rejoice. So that our joy then is that the joy that God is near. Our joy is in a hope that the future will be better, that things will change, that the suffering will come to an end. And that's what it means to be faithfully Christian. We don't have to lie and say everything is good. Nor do we have to worry or complain or be kind of joyless, thinking that that's not taking life or faith seriously. But we need to think on these things. And having thought on these things, we need to act on these things. We need to practice them, right? That's what which we've learned and that which we have received, that which we have seen, we put into practice. How does verse nine say it? Keep on doing, not just do, but keep on doing these things that you've learned, received, heard, and seen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.